somewhere in a bed somewhere, someone is sleeping off the drugs and the alcohol from last night. Somewhere in the world right now, there's someone who's having an affair. Somewhere, somewhere in the world, and probably won't have to look far, there's someone who intends on killing another person. Somewhere, somewhere in this world, there's evil that's happening at this moment. But right where they are at that place, God loves them. Just like they are. Just like the song says, you love me where you found me. Right where you found me, that's where you loved me. But he loves us too much to leave us there. He loves us too much to say that's where you're going to say. And so that's what um, I'm going to talk about today. We're going to talk about a love that heals, a love that delivers, a love that redeems. Because you can't love if you don't heal. Yesterday, we, uh, last week we forgave. And I believe this week we're going to... We're going to see God do some awesome things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to speak uh, your words, not mine, Father God. Let everything in my uh, life that is not you fall to the ground and you increase, Holy Spirit, that I may decrease. And let your perfect will be done. Holy Spirit, we have welcomed you here with open arms and said, please come and interrupt. And thank you for doing that. Thank you for loving us right where we were, for touching us. Now let your word go forth. I bind every hindrance. I bind every distraction in the name of Jesus from your work, mighty God. And I declare and I loose your perfect work today in our hearts that we give you, Father God. Our hearts that we give you to completely heal. And we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jeremiah 1 and 12, the Lord says, uh, You have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. And God says that he is always watching over his word. So whenever I have a situation or something that comes up, I just want to send the word after it. Right? Let's send the word after it. Pastor does our declarations. And so today, we're going to send the word after some things that we need taken care of. Amen? Uh, I'm going to read really quickly and not verbatim, but if you want to turn there, you can, or later you can, in 2 Samuel chapter 13. And it's, it's a story about one of David's um, daughters. And the reason I'm going to tell this story, it's not a popular, you're not going to look up this, this passage of scripture and find a lot of sermons on it. Because it's probably one of those chapters that we all have in our Bible that, in, in the book of Amelia, that I'd rather you erased. I I just kind of wish you to not put that there or, you know, not write that. So for Tamar, this was one of those chapters. But there's no way we could erase this chapter because it's everything that made her who she was. Right? How many times do you know that we we are born and sometimes we're given perfect circumstances um, for, for everything to be great and then life happens? Tragedy strikes, something happens. And then that's that's what happened here with Tamar. Um, David is Absalom's son. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Absalom had a sister named Tamar. And Amon, Amon was one of David's sons. I'm not going to get real deep with it. It's weird. It was his sister, end of story. Um, but the Bible says that Amon had a, his half-sister um, that he fell desperately in love with. That's what the word says. He fell desperately in love with her. And Amon became so obsessed with Tamar that he became ill. He made himself sick. Uh, Everybody say, that's not love. That's not love. She was a virgin and Amon thought he could never have her. So she was untouchable in his mind. And he he had to come up with a plan to devise to be able to to work out this wicked act. And so uh, he had this cousin. Everybody said he had a cousin. 
named Jonadab, and he was not the best cousin. He was not the person to get counsel from. And Jonadab says, what's the problem? What's going on? Why does the son of the king look so sad, so dejected, morning after morning? And Amon tells him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. And so Jonadab says, don't worry, we've got to devise us a plan, right? So he says, I'll tell you what to do. Go back to the dead, pretend you're ill. When father comes to see you, when your dad comes, let him, tell him you want Tamar to come, prepare some food for you, and tell him you're only going to be filled better if she prepares it for you. And as you watch her, then she feeds you with her own hands. That's disgusting. So he comes up with this plan to get Tamar not only in his house, legally, but to tell him that he's sick, and that I need Tamar here to feed me personally. So David David says, okay. You can skip down. And David says, okay. Everybody said David was the man of the God's own heart. Does that make David perfect? No. No, but if you read the scripture, he sure wasn't a great dad. I mean, he struggled. We'll say that. Um, but he says... He says to Tamar, he says to his son, who he indulges this ridiculous behavior, instead of saying, boy, you're fine, you're going to be just fine. If you ever pass for Levi, and they said, send Olivia, he'd be like, no, nah, Olivia ain't going over there feeding you, get, get your own hand, feed your own self. We'll get somebody to take care of you. I'm not sending your sister over there. It sounds stupid, but David indulged his son. So Tamar comes, and then he says to Tamar, now bring the food into my bedroom, I'm at verse 10, and feed it to me here. So Tamar takes his favorite dish to him. And as she's feeding him, he grabs her and demands, come to bed with me, my darling sister. No, my brother, she cried, don't be foolish. Don't do this to me. Such wicked things aren't done in Israel. Where am I going to go in my shame? And you would be called one of the greatest fools in all of Israel. Please just speak to the king about it and he will let you marry me. But Amon wouldn't listen to her. And since he was stronger than she was, he raped her. Then suddenly, Amon's love turned to hate, and he hated her. Everyone said he hated her. More than he had loved her. Get out of here, he snarled. No, no, Tamar cries. Sending me away now is worse than what you've already done to me. But Amon wouldn't listen to her. He shouted for his servant, and he demanded, throw this woman out and lock the door behind her. So the servant puts her out, locks the door behind her. She was wearing a long, beautiful robe. I was with the custom in those days for the king's virgin daughters. But now Tamar tore her robe, put ashes on her head, and then with her face in her hands, she went away crying. Her, her brother Absalom sees her and asks, Is it true that Amon has been with you? Well, my sister, keep quiet for now, since he's your brother, but don't worry about it. So Tamar lived, a desolate woman, in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard what had happened, he was very angry. And though Absalom never spoke to Amon about this, he hated Amon deeply because of what he had done to his sister. Unfortunately, nowhere in that scripture does it read, David came to avenge his daughter and what had been done to her. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that anyone confronted Amon about what he had done. Nowhere. What he did to her was undoubtedly, not just in their time, but in our time, 100% wrong. Number one, you don't sleep with your sister. That's weird. And then number two, you don't rape her. He raped her. So what what I want you to take away from this is that Tamar never loved again. It says that she lived a desolate woman in Absalom's house. But God, everybody say, but God. 
He declares that we have to be healed because we can't love without healing. And so many of us have found ourselves in Tamar's position. What do I mean by that? Um, I've been raped by my brother. No, not raped by the brother necessarily. But you found yourself in a place where someone was supposed to love you. Someone that was not supposed to hurt you. Someone that was never meant to do the things they did and you did. And it was never your fault. Tamar did nothing for that advancement. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. But she found herself in a place where she had been taken advantage of. By someone she should have never been taken advantage of by. Right? So will Tamar ever be able to love again? The Bible says no. She lived a desolate life. She died all alone as Marceline in her shame. She never, ever, ever was able to get past that moment in her life. That was never her fault. It was never God's plan for her life. It wasn't his intention. But the enemy came in and took and stole something from her that she was not able to get. And so instead of being able to walk past that thing, she stayed stuck there. All those years, locked away in the house, desolate, alone, and broken. But but God, because His Word says that He declares that we will have beauty where there was once ashes. Yeah. He said there will be joy when you once mourn. There will be festive praise. You won't have despair. But that is a process. And it took, it could have been Tamar's scripture read, and Tamar went through the process of healing and became the woman of God that she was intended to be in spite of what the enemy had done. In spite of that. But it doesn't read that. Maybe no one told her. Maybe no one cared enough to say. But I'm here to say, speak the words and say to you today, nobody has to live stuck. Amen. It wasn't our fault. And guess what? Even if it was your fault, if you intentionally did something and you hurt someone or you were on the other side of that, he loved you where he found you. Amen. Amen. He loves us right where he finds us. And so the point I'm making about Tamar is that God intends to heal us. In Jeremiah, he says, I will restore to you health and heal your wounds. Because you were called an outcast, Zion, for whom no one cares. That word wounds right there is translated in Hebrew to trauma in our modern language. God will heal your wounds, your traumas, these traumatic experiences that have us stuck. Pastor Miller, why are you preaching about this? We're talking about love and happiness. Because you'll never find love, because you'll never love, you'll never find happiness until you move past your Tamar moment. Amen. If you don't find yourself walking out your healing, you'll be stuck, a desolate woman, alone for the rest of your life. And that was never God's plan. Listen to me, that was never God's intention for Tamar. God never intended for her to live that life. God never intended for her to live that life. God did not intend that. Somehow we get it twisted in our mind. I heard a preaching this weekend and it's going to stick with me forever and ever and ever. We take the goodness of God and we pervert it. Oh man, I got a great parking lot at, at Walmart. Thank you, Jesus. That's raining. I didn't get wet. Man, God is good. So then if I got the parking spot in the back and my little butt got soaking wet walking up to the front, is God not good? Am I not still his daughter even though I'm soaking wet? No, he's still good. But somehow we've got it in our mind in the American culture that if God doesn't do what I need him to do, when I when I want him to do it, he's not good. And God forbid some tragedy strikes or I got to go through something and no, God's not good anymore. 
for. And then we find ourselves in that place of why? 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 What a terrible place to be. What a God-fearing place to be. Why, God? The master of all creation. Mary talked about it Monday when we met. His train fills the temple. He's a holy and righteous God. And we somehow find ourselves at his feet saying, why? Demanding an answer. I'm going to tell you why. It was never him. Amen. God was good. The day Tamar was raped, God was still good in that moment. Because it was never God's intention. Now, can God work it all for my good? He can. His word says it. And I told you, he says, I'm watching over my word to see that it's fulfilled. So if God says that he can turn it around, he means that. And he can. He can take our mess. He can turn it into our message. I know. He's done it for me. I shouldn't be here. I'm a product of divorce after divorce. I'm a product of a mother who was 15 years old, who was lost and scared and doing the very best she can and failing miserably, Mama Dean. And she will be the first to tell you that. And I turned around and I was a product of drugs, of alcohol, of all of those things that were birthed. And I should not be in my right mind. There's no way I should be able to sit here and have a conversation with you about love because psychology will tell you I don't know how to love. There's no way I can know how to love because I've never experienced it in the real, true, pure form. It's what psychology says. But God. But God. He's opened my heart. He's healed my wounds. He's healed my traumas. So I say that to say that he can do it for you. Okay, cool. Well, what's step one? Glad you asked. Step one is we have to forget. Everybody say forget. Forget. Sounds easier than done, right? Isaiah 43, we love to quote Isaiah 43, 19. We love that scripture. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? We like that scripture. I quoted it all last year. It was my favorite scripture. But I forgot there's a scripture before that. And it says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Look at your neighbor and say, forget. Forget. Forget the former things. Now, is that an easy thing to do, Lawrence? If somebody hurts you, is it easy to forget? No, it's not. I will stand in the front with the microphone and tell you it is not easy to forget. Sometimes you have to wake up every single day and you have to make a deliberate action. Today I forgive. Today I choose to release this person. Today I'm not going to be present. Today I will live for God and I will let this thing go. Every day I'm going to release them. Why? Because it's not easy to forget. It is sure not easy to forget. Forget, Pastor, forget. That's what he said. Forget your past. Don't dwell on it. Forget it. When you're in a car driving, what's the bigger thing in front of you? The windshield. What's the smaller thing? The rear view. Because we should spend so much more time looking forward. He loves to tell us about our future. How do you do a new thing in your life? Man, it's going to be so awesome. You can't even think about it. He says, you can't perceive it. You can't even imagine what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. But I need you to forget the past. Yes. I need to forget those former things. I need you to let go of the Tamar moment and release that thing to me and trust me to handle it. Yeah. Oh God, but I don't know. You're not going to handle it. I don't want to handle it because I'm going to get a gun and I'm going to soar and come. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not talking about small things to forgive. Hey, she was raped. Yeah. Have you ever sat and talked to someone who's been raped and molested? I'm just watching the tragedy of that thing unfold. Brings up an indignation within you where you want to go fight and you want to destroy someone. It hurts. It's hard. It is not easy. And God yet, He tells us, forget that thing. 
Trust me with it. Release it to me. And let me handle it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, but I think I could handle it so much better. However, if you'll choose to forget the former things and not dwell on the past, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Those are impossible things. But God says in your wilderness, I'll navigate you through it. I'll help you see where you need to go. We have to let go. The Bible says if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. Yes, yes. I'm new. I'm not what I once was. So I can't revert back to, well, you know, before Christ, this is how I would have handled the situation. Because I'm in a new. Everybody say new. I'm a new creation. Christ is not envious. He's not mean. He's not broke. He's not uh, Christ isn't any of the things that I am. So if I'm in him, I'm no longer those things. I've let the past go. I've moved into the new thing. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27 says, And I will give you a new heart. Everybody say new. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart. Anybody got a stubborn heart? I do. It's stubborn sometimes. And I will give you a tender, responsive heart. I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey them. That's Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. Ezekiel is saying to us what? What is Ezekiel saying? And in essence, you can't take on with that stony, stubborn heart. It ain't going to get you nowhere. You're not going to be able to live for God. You're not going to be able to do anything unless you release to God that moment and that time, that thing, and trust him to work on your behalf. Seems impossible, but it is possible. Sometimes we allow certain Parts of us to die with it. Right? So I'll hear people tell me their testimony and things they've been through. And they'll say, well, you know, before I was molested or before I was raped or before my divorce um, or before I got church hurt. It, church hurt. Real, it's real. It's a real thing. It's, it's no joke. Uh, on that note, Pastor Cooper, I'm going to honor you, Sister Cooper, because I was sitting and looking through some pictures for you guys that I was going to do this slideshow, and I could not believe how far back they go with this church. Sometimes you got to see a picture to really understand it, but man, God bless y'all. God bless y'all for being faithful to this church. We would none of us be here today. Pastor wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for people like the Coopers. Um, and Brother Bob, they have stayed and stuck it out. So God bless them. Amen. Amen. I love Amen. y'all. That's just a side note. That's me rabbit trailing and squirreling. But I thought about that this past weekend. It's so important for us to grow past these things. To go into a place where we say, okay, God, this hurt. This moment, it could be the very thing that changes and defines everything about me. But I'm going to choose to give that to you. I'm going to choose to say, take this nasty, stubborn heart, this stony heart, and give me a tender, responsive heart. Yeah. Responsive heart. Have you ever seen anyone who comes in um, to worship and they're just stone-faced, don't move? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah, because she appeared looking at me. But they're just, you know, just... Oh, okay, not y'all, because y'all don't have those problems. But I'll use the kids, for example. So when we do worship with the kids, if they're visitors... 
um, they tend to be a little more reserved. You know, they don't know what's going on. Everybody's clapping. They're worshiping. You know, they're doing their thing. And then it, it takes them a couple times, Pastor. And before you know it, I told Michelle yesterday we were cracking up. Uh, Jax is at home now. And uh, he this is his church, whether you want it to be or not, because he loves us all. And uh, we put that song on, The Deep Waters, where they're going to go left to go the right. But the song before that was, was the Jesus Hokey Pokey. So we give our heart to Jesus and we turn our lives around. So that's what we were doing. So Jax got stuck there, even though we moved to another song. And I told Michelle, he was... <laughs> and he was having a great time. And he was just worshiping and praising. And it blessed me so much. Uh, not because he's just so funny, he's hilarious. But because he was at a place where he could worship. Yeah. He was at a place where he could just love on Jesus. And he didn't care, because that's our rule. Don't you judge nobody for how we love Jesus, because Pastor Lee loves Jesus in a real way. So he was loving Jesus in the expression and the way he felt it. And I thought that was the coolest thing. Some kids don't jump. They just lift their hands or clap. or They do it however they do it. But I've seen people who've come and, and in Sunday school, and they sit. And they want you to know, this is my outward sign of, I have a stony, stubborn heart. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I will not. I refuse. For whatever the reason. I don't know. You think they're just babies and that they haven't been through enough to care yet, but they really, you don't know their heart. You don't know what they carry from your house to their heart. You'll never know the amount of things that they carry that you would never think they catch. Pastor Lori always says, more is caught than is taught. And it's so true. Because when I go to yell at my kids, sometimes my mother comes out. She never sat me down and said, when you yell at your kids, do this, sound like this. But it just happens. Inevitably. So those kids are catching more than you think. And I'll leave that there. Amen. In Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel seen a vision. And this is, this is what I'm going to... Go into, and then we're going to wrap up because it's not going to take me long to do what we need to do. Um, but in this vision, Ezekiel's seen dry bones. Everybody say dry bones. Yeah. He's seen dead, dry, useless bones. Yeah. He's seen a situation that the Bible doesn't say they were just bones that were laying on the ground. There were bones scattered, which intends that there was a, that gives you an uh, implication that there was war. There was people that were torn apart, head over here, arm over here, skull over there, leg over here. It was insane. It was, it was bad. And the bones had dried up to the point of no moisture, nothing. They had been there a long time. Everybody say it takes a while. They didn't go that way overnight. And Ezekiel was having a conversation with God, and this is what the Lord says. He takes him to this valley of bones, and it says there were bones scattered everywhere. Across the ground, and they were completely dried out. And then he asked me, God asked Ezekiel, he says, Son of man, can these bones become living again? How many of you know when God asks a question, it's rhetorical? <laughs> Ezekiel says, Oh sovereign Lord, you alone know the answer to that. Good answer, exactly. Because if God asks, whatever you say, God, that's what I go with. But he's asking him an impossible thing. If somebody took me, I'm going to be real with you. If somebody took me to a, a cemetery and said, do you believe these bodies can come out of the ground again? If God asked me that, I'd be like, well, Lord, if you say so. Otherwise, it's a zombie thing. And I don't know. I'm kind of freaking out. That's, this is an impossible thing, Alma. So he's saying, do these dead, dry things 
look like they're worth anything to anyone. What are we going to do with this man? And he says, oh, Lord, I don't know. Only you know the answer to that. And then he says to Isaiah something that I get it. I get it. He says, speak a prophetic message to these bones. Speak to these bones. Speak to these bones. Everybody say speak. Speak. Because when my father formed the world, he spoke. I can think it all day long, but until I speak it, there's authority. Ben asked me one time, I I didn't mean to do this, but he called me and he said, what's your favorite scripture? And I said, I really didn't want to tell him because it's kind of sad, but it's Proverbs 14 and 1. It says, the wise woman builds her house, but with her hands, the foolish one tears hers down. I didn't know I was going to walk around on a cup. He didn't tell me it's for a cup. (laughs) But what a great reminder that what I speak, I will have. I was talking the other day about an argument I got into in my house. And at that very moment, Zach, I could have chose to build my house up. Mm-hmm. I could have extinguished that thing. Right. And I could have dealt with the problem later and been a grown-up about it. But I decided months ago, you know, I'm going to speak. And it wasn't the right thing. I'm going to do this. And it come unglued. And that very day, I tore my house down. Because I didn't choose to speak. God's words. I didn't choose to speak what he said. I didn't choose to give him my stony heart either. I decided to hang on to that thing. And I decided to let it rain and roll and tell everybody in the house, Lord, a good little piece of my mind. And where did it give me? Nowhere. So speak to the thing that you want to see live. Amen. And curse the thing you want to see die. It's really that simple. We make it so much bigger and greater. And it's that. That's where it stops. Speak it. You have dominion. You have authority. Okay, cool. Uh, so what does that mean? Uh, I don't know. I'm dealing with uh, self-esteem issues. Okay. Uh, but just true. Pastor Gloria says, name five things you love about yourself. I don't know. That's weird, Pastor Lori. Who does that? She's like, it's not that hard. You have to do it. It was hard. Lori said it was hard. It is hard because we never think about what I love about me. That's weird. I don't know. I don't love myself. I'm not conceited. But it almost is conceited and prideful to not think of the things that God created me. He formed me. He says I'm beautiful because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And he's so proud of his creation. And he loves me so much that I can't come up with five things that he made that are great about me. It's pitiful. So I have to find myself in a place where I say, I struggle with this issue. It's a reality. It's a fact. What do I do about it? I speak to that thing. So every morning I get up and I say, girl, you're beautiful because you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You have the ability to speak and preach because God has anointed you to reach nations. And I speak to myself God's words. Right? And then when the enemy comes and he tries to put negative into my mind, guess what comes back? God's words. And God's thoughts. And I remember, you're right. You're under my feet. Hold on, let me squash you real quick. That's all he really is. The Bible says in Revelations, when we see him, Pastor, we're going to be so surprised that this is what's wrecked havoc in our lives all these years. We've allowed it. And it's not that he doesn't have power. He does. But we have authority. But we refuse to use it because we refuse to speak the right things. Ezekiel says... God says, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. Financial situation, you're going to listen to the word of the Lord. His word says that if I turn, he's going to pour out a blessing I 
Financial lack ain't a problem. My marriage, oh, it won't end in divorce because what God joined together, no man can separate. And I send the word to accomplish what the enemy is trying to do. He wants to talk. He wants to come to me. I will come back at you. Lisa Bevere writes a book, and I'm going to get it later, and I'm so excited. If y'all aren't going to the women's thing, I'm going to post 50 million pictures, and you're going to get to see her. Don't worry, but you should go because she's awesome. And she says, girls with swords. And sometimes we forget to fight with his word. I bet when we get to heaven, God's going to be like, yeah, I never put that one on you. That was all you. You did that because you could have fought that one. Come on now. You could have dealt with that. You didn't need Gabriel and 15 angels. You could have handled it, but you won't say. You won't say. You won't speak. Ezekiel says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you. So Ezekiel, five minutes ago, he was saying, I don't know, Lord, whatever you said. <laughs> if you say, then that's it. You ever been in a, uh, been in, I've counseled people before, and you look at their relationship. I'm sure you guys can relate, and you're like, Okay, Lord, if you say. <laughs> a lot of water under that bridge. I don't know, God, if you say. But how many of us know that God does say? That's right. He does say. He does say. And if we go back to his words, then we can speak it. So here we have Ezekiel who was saying, I don't know, God, if you say. But if God says it, then God says, look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. What in the world? God says he's going to put breath into this dead thing and make it live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you. I will cover you with skin and I will put breath into you and you will come to life. And then you will know that I am the Lord. Amen. Ezekiel spoke. He opened his mouth. He said, he said God's word. God says, so then... It says, so as I spoke this message, just as he told me to do, I did what God told me to do. Suddenly as I spoke, there is a suddenly. I love them suddenly. That's suddenly an axe. That's how the Holy Spirit showed up. Suddenly is good. As I spoke, there was a rattling noise that moved across the valley. That's wild. All of a sudden, he says, the bones of each body came together and attached themselves to complete skeletons. Then, as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones. The skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. Mm. Pastor Thomas, what are you going to do with your miracle? Yeah. They, he spoke. He's seen the miracle. The bodies, all these bones, crazy bones everywhere going together. And all of a sudden, you see them like little things. You see how them, you know, the bones. And then he says, skin formed and legs and muscles. And then all of a sudden, there's a person. There's people. But, he said, there is no breath in them. There's no life. Where does life come from? Only him. He says, speak a prophetic. Here's, here's the thing about God. Side note, he's with him every step of the way. He's like, okay, God, look, oh, well, there's, there's bones. Now there's bodies. What do we do? What now? Then God says to him, speak a prophetic message to the wind, son of man. Speak. This is what is, and this is what I said. Ezekiel says, <laughs> Ezekiel's me. This is what the sovereign Lord says. He didn't say this is what Ezekiel said, babe. He said, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Like, in other words, if y'all think I'm crazy, take it up with him. Because you're the miracle. He told me to tell you, this is what the sovereign Lord says. 
He says, come, oh breath from the four winds and breathe into these dead bodies that they may live again. Come from the four winds, Holy Spirit. Breathe into Tamar that she may live again. Come, Holy Spirit, and breathe into this broken place that I may live again. Because that is not our final destination. He says, so I spoke the message as he commanded me. And breath came into their bodies. And they came to life. And they stood on their feet, a great army. You have a great army that is waiting for you to speak. Yes. Pastor says it all the time. Speak to the thing. Declare it. Speak it. Speak it. Send God's word. Where we are today is a result of last year's word that we sent to where we are now. If you're not seeing it, you're not declaring it. So you have to get up and you have to speak and form your word and watch it breathe life into it. And then a great army forms. And before you know it, I can just imagine... I just see myself, this is me, because I've been around pastor too long and I'm in a movie all the time. And so I see myself walking through wind, through rain, there's chaos, there's tornadoes, there's people falling to the right, falling to the left, things are destroyed, and I am untouchable. Because there is a great army that surrounds me and fights for me and goes to battle for me. And I never see a single thing take place. But I remain in his peace. And I remain in his goodness. Because the righteous man's steps are ordered of the Lord. And I know every step I take, everywhere I go, there's the chaos. There's the truth. But it doesn't touch me. Let's touch my faith. Long suffering. God has long suffering. He, keeps, he, he has his hand of mercy that keeps it back. Does that mean God is good? And you don't get the pardon spot? Sometimes I don't get the pardon spot. God's still good. Amen. Sometimes I don't know the way I want it to, but God is so good. Every single day, all day. There was a woman at this retreat I went to this weekend, 86 years old, Sister Cooper. 86. She didn't look a day. She was like Miss Marceline. She was unageable. She was beautiful, perfect. You'd never know. She was 86 years old. And two years ago, she almost died. A sickness attacked her body on a cruise. She had flu-like symptoms. She told her daughter, I just want to go home. Just take me home. Her daughter said, nope. They got off the boat, took her straight to the hospital. They come and get the daughter. They said, your mama is dying. You might want to call some people and set her affairs in order. She goes, oh, no, my mama's not dying. She said, I raised that girl right. She said, they, they said, no, no, your your mom's dying. She's, she's dying. She had a heart attack. She goes, oh, yeah, no, I don't receive that. My mama didn't have a heart attack. So you need to get your doctors, get back in there and figure it out. My mom's not dying, though. So they left her there because they thought clearly she was crazy. And uh, she went to go call an elder. She said, look, you better get up here. You better pray. You better start praying now because they're saying mama's dying. And we don't, we're not going to receive that. 86 years old. Then she was probably about 80 because about five years ago. So she says, all of a sudden, people start praying. Two weeks, she laid there, Pastor. Everybody waiting for her to die. Everything shut down. The doctor's trying to talk sense into her daughter. They're like, even if your mom lives, she'll never be, her heart will not beat, her lungs will not operate, her liver needs to be replanted. She's not going to live. And if she does, she's got a long road of recovery ahead of her. You're, you're waiting for something and impossible. Come on now. Impossible is nothing. Impossible is nothing, especially to God. So this woman opens up her eyes two weeks later, Lori. Opens up her eyes and her daughter's like, finally. What is the deal? And she says, she opened her eyes and she looked around the room and she goes, am I paralyzed? 
Her daughter said, no, you're not paralyzed. She goes, why can't I move anything? And just like that, laying on her bed, the Holy Spirit told her, they're not feeding you. They left her there for two weeks, giving her only a sugar water substitute because they thought she was going to die. So her daughter said, you mean to tell me you ain't been feeding mama? So the daughter went off. And they fed the mama and took care of her. And so they was surely, within three months, she left the hospital. She was walking, walking miracle, miracle from God. She had gotten a flu virus into her body. The virus attacked her heart. And that's why they thought she was having a heart attack. So the point of the story is that the woman then goes to God and she tells him one day, she says, why am I here? Why am I here? Why would you keep me here? I don't understand. Her husband's already with Jesus. So she was like, I've done so much. This woman's 86 years old, still has a weekly television broadcast, Pastor. A 5,000 member church that she just gave to her daughter and son-in-law. She acted weak. Got no excuse. No excuse. No elders have any more excuses with me after seeing that woman. She was doing the most. And up there preaching us in the middle of the night while always a bunch of crazy women are jumping around. So she tells God, she says, I don't understand why you still have me here. And God, the Holy Spirit told her, he says, when you were there in that coma, you got a little glimpse of eternity. But I sent you back to earth. When I'm ready for you, I'll come get you. Now you're on God's time. Do your work. Come on now. And every single one of us are on God's time. You're on God's time, Miss Marceline. Barbara. All of us are on God's time. This isn't about us. It's not about taking our moment. It's not about us. It's about we have to heal so that we can love. Because the only way that I was the only way that they're going to know you belong to me is your heart. How you love. They cannot look at you and say, you're a disciple. You're going to hiss. If you don't love, if you're mean on your heart to get along with, they're going to say you belong to someone else. But it's hard to love when you've been to hurt. It's easier to have a stone and stuff. I'm going to give you a, um, I'm going to give you guys an assignment. You're going to go home and do this. And I'm going to ask you as I see you, when you drop off your kids, or when you come to do communion this much, I'm going to find you and I'm going to ask you questions. I want you to find yourself a life scripture. What does that mean? That's a scripture you do your life by. Yes. That's it. I'm going to share with you mine. It's, 
uh, Psalms 119.57, and it's a good one. It says, I used to wander off, but then you disciplined me. And so now I closely follow after your word. Why is that a lot of scripture, Pastor Brad? That doesn't offer you anything. Oh, yes, it does. It offers me a reminder that I used to wonder. I used to act the fool. I used to do the ignorant. But I got disciplined by my daddy. And it ain't no fun to get a whooping from the Holy Spirit. So now I very closely follow after his word. We all need a life scripture. So that's your assignment this week is to find your life scripture. It might not, it may change. It may go from one season to another. Right now, this has been mine for a hot minute, but I found it and I hold on to it and I memorize it and I know it. And that's your assignment this week is a life scripture. Uh, I am going to do an altar call, but before I do that, uh, I do want to say, thank you, Pastor. I do want to say this.